I'm sure there are many broken hearts, many people are hurting, and Christ definitely is the answer. I'm excited about today. You know, our subject matter here is called, you know, Stoppable, the Church Unleashed. Well, you know what? This week, the enemy tried to stop us. Friday afternoon, we had a power outage. The gentleman diligently looked for the breakers, whatever it was, but we couldn't find it. Thursday morning, I came to the church early, and lo and behold, God sent his little angels out in Richland trucks, and there was four of them out front. And by 11.30 Thursday, we finally had power back. Amen. God is unstoppable. And I'll tell you, he has so much for us. He wants us to understand more about the blessings of the Holy Spirit and what took place there in that book of Acts. So I invite all of you, if you would, please, let's have prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are such a loving, caring Father. We thank you for this time that we have here Sabbath morning to be able to call upon you, to praise you, to give you glory for who you are. Even in reality, we are not all together as a church family in a building, but in reality, the church is a body of believers, and we are united in that way, and I thank you for it. And I just look forward to the time that we can come together once again to hug and to touch and to shake hands and be a family. Cover us today. May the Spirit move in a mighty way. May your hearts be touched, and may we experience you. In your loving Son's name I pray, amen. I do invite you, if you have your Bibles, to get them. I will be referencing them, and I would like for you to follow along with me. HMS Richards was once asked to comment about the state of the church. And his reply was, I believe that the church needs to go back to the beginning. The person replied, you mean to the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist church? And HMS Richards said, no. Back to the beginning in the book of Acts. Back to the beginning in the book of Acts. There was something that took place at the beginning when we read about in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit moved in a mighty way. We've heard Pastor Sergio talk about it. We're going to continue today in chapter 5. But the Spirit was unstoppable. The church was united. The church was coming together. And they were experiencing things that nobody had ever experienced today because the Spirit was moving in a mighty way. This morning, though, I will like you to do something for me. And that is to think of a moment a moment in time or a memory that you treasure. Let's say a moment that if you had the opportunity, you would love to go back and experience again. You got that moment? Well, that moment for me was September of 1987. Becky's sister Jan and her mother had a dream. And that dream was to take our little family of seven of us and go to the Hawaiian Islands for a three-week vacation. <laughs> I like that kind of dream. And they worked hard for months, if not years. They saved money to make that dream happen. 
Now, you have to understand Becky, Sister Jan. She, she is quite a character. And she has a... The bar is pretty set high to her when she wants to do something. So it's pretty much all or nothing. We should have known what we were getting into when that morning when we were at their house all packed up and ready to leave, we got a knock on the door and my boys answered and there was the limousine driver waiting for us to go out to the stretch limo to go to the airport. <laughs> my son, Charlie, was five. Joshua was eight. And even though I was 33, by the time we got there, I felt like I was 11. I was just feeding off of the excitement of my boys and the joy that they had in their hearts. Now, Jan had been to the Hawaiian Islands multiple times. And so she became our cruise director for this event, and she knew exactly what she wanted to put together for an agenda for each one of us on the days that we were there. You see, she knew us, and she knew what we would like to do, and she knew what we were interested in, and that was so crucial for her in order for her to do that. She had our days filled with activities. We did Hiking, snorkeling, we, we visited the Polynesian Cultural Center, and there we had to decide to go whether one finger poi or two finger poi. I think my boys just played with the poi. We went sightseeing, we went to restaurants, we went to dinner cruises, we went shopping, and, and, and we even, we even, don't tell no one, we even stalked. Tom Selleck, because he was filming for Magnum P.I. Ask Becky about those memories. But also, too, one event that we did do is we found a Farrell's ice cream parlor in Hawaii. Yes. And it was exciting to be able to come together as a family once again to sit down there and enjoy that ice cream that they had to offer. It was just a packed full agenda, and this was just the first island. We didn't get to the parasailing until two islands later. Mm. What memories I treasure. And you're asking me, Pastor Fred, what has that got to do with the book of Acts? Well, here's why I'm telling you this. For three weeks, I was given an agenda, a plan to experience the things that Jan knew that we loved, things that we would treasure as a family as we came together because there was no greater joy than for us seven to be over there and to experience us together. There was no arguing. There was no complaining. There was no one saying, well, I got a better idea. No. There was harmony, unity within the whole family. It was a time that, in all actuality, I felt like one of the kids to wake up with excitement to say, Janny, what do you have planned for us today? For three weeks, this took place. Her motto that she had was, 
nothing but the best for my sister and her family. Jannie was a pretty special gal. I look back at that moment of time, and I realize, man, I, I had to have a lot of faith in her and trust in her to put together something for me. But she accomplished it. She did very well. She knew exactly what I desired, what I wanted to do. She knew what would make me happy. Does that sound like any kind of a text that you may think of? Like in the book of Jeremiah? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If I could surrender and give everything to my sister-in-law for three weeks and realize it was priceless, I need to look into the mirror and say, God, why can't I give you my life permanently? Why can't I come to you and surrender to you? Because you have a plan. You have an agenda for me. You have something that you want me to do. The spirit that moved back there in the book of Acts is the same spirit that's available to me, to you, to all of us, that we can have a life full of joy and pleasure as long as we surrender, surrender to him. Okay, I want you to grab your Bibles because we're going to look at the picture of the believers in the book of Acts. It's going to be chapter 2. We're going to kind of recap a little bit what Pastor Sergio went through, but Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Now, when I, when I read this, remember what HMS Richard says. We need to go back to the beginning of the church in Acts. What is it that he was referring to? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, the Lord, he doesn't talk about the people, but the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Well, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit's moving now. The Holy Spirit is doing something at that time frame that people were just coming together, united with everything they had within their hearts and within their love. Acts 4, verses 32 to 35. And the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Did you hear that? 
There was no needy persons among them. There were no homeless. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What a picture. What a period of time. I know we look at that and we say, oh man, that would be such a a nice environment to live in. But we're going to remember here shortly that they started to get persecution. And even though the fact of what the church experienced in the book of Acts at the very beginning, is there any reason why we as a church can't experience that today? And one thing that's been said was the spiritual unity and generosity of these early believers attracted others to them. Just by their actions of what they did drew other people who were not part of the believers, but they watched them. That's why when I study with kids, I tell them, you're a walking billboard. People are watching you. They're watching your actions. They watch what you believe in. They watch how you walk, how you talk. Because they are looking at you, and boy, if you can share the life of Christ, the love of Christ, by your gifts, by your actions, by your sharing, by your caring, that will draw people to you. And I believe that this church does that. This community looks at this church. I've heard many people talk about that it's the people here that draw them to come here Sabbath mornings and be a part of this family. I also can't help but believe in that statement. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The the important part isn't what's up here. Thank the Lord for that. It's what's in here. If they can see that we care, and it's not all head knowledge, but it's hands and feet and it's giving, that is exciting to them. That draws them. And that's exactly what God is telling us that we need to be like the people in the book of Acts. Personally, I had a nice little experience here a few weeks ago. May 3rd, Sunday. My son Charlie and his wife Sarah, little boy Augie, came over. We had a light dinner. We sat down. We watched some stuff on the TV And just at the end, I heard a knock. Went to the door, and there was these two young ladies, neighbor girls from down the street, invited me to come outside. And so in doing so, I walked out to a bunch of balloons and signs, and there were chairs down there at the base of my yard. And so I went down to sit down. Now, it was a little windy that day, but that was okay. I loved it. And then the parade started. Because see, it was my birthday. I love birthdays. I'm like my kids, to be honest with you. People started coming down the street from the webs, from from the Mitchell's house. and, And they were honking and they had signs and balloons. And they were coming by and wishing happy birthday. And and throwing out toilet paper and gifts and, and goodies. And good toilet paper, too. And, and we, we gathered everything. And my, my young grandson had a joy of going up and, and gathering the stuff. And 
one after another after another came by. I just felt so beaming inside because this was my church family. And what was exciting, though, even after the fact, was my neighbors were outside watching all of this. And they're wondering, what in the world? Is, is he dying? But, but they observed it. They watched it. They saw what was taking place. And when it was all said and done and the, and the parade had ended, it went on for about a half an hour. I was so proud of my church. We, we invited our neighbors to come over. And we had ice cream and cake that Becky had made. The neighbors made some cupcakes. The neighbor brought the ice cream. Neighbors across the street came over, and we had a nice gather. Another family down the street came up. And even my neighbor from behind the fence, older gentleman, came around the corner and just kind of peeked around and said, I saw all the commotion. I just wanted to wish you happy birthday, Fred. Invited him to stay, but he couldn't. And the people talked, and I said, folks, that's my family. You, you just witnessed my family. No greater joy than my family who come and celebrate with me. And that way just, oh, it touched my heart. It touched my heart, and I will remember it forever. But as we go back into the book of Acts and we kind of wrap up on chapter 4, there's a picture we need to look at of a man named Joseph. It's 4, verse 36 to 37. Joseph was one of the followers who had sold a piece of property and brought the money to the apostles. He was a Levite from Cyrus, and the apostles called him Barnabas, which means, I like this, one who encourages others. One who encourages others. I want to be a Barnabas. My desire is to be a Barnabas, to encourage others because life is hard, especially right now. What we are going through is so difficult. The enemy is trying to separate us. The enemy is doing everything he can to break us apart. And while we're broken apart, then all of a sudden he starts working on us individually. We need to come together. Because if you watch the news, I'm sorry, we are not united as a country. God wants us to be united. To get his work done, we need to be united As we go into the book of Acts, it starts to become very sobering. I want to share with you this. It seems hard to believe, but within a few months since the crucifixion of Christ, just a few months, we begin to see both internal and external problems. Problems. We just read a little while ago about the church, but now in, verse, in chapter 5, they're having problems, internal, external Inside, there was a dishonesty and administration headaches, and outside the church, they were being pressured and, and persecuted. 
Even after the Holy Spirit had come, the believers were not immune to Satan's influence and temptations. Because, see, the enemy never gives up. He never takes a vacation. And he's constant, constantly in your face trying to do everything he can to distract you, to tempt you. And here, this church who was so on fire, was all of a sudden experiencing these things. Even though Satan was defeated by Christ on the cross, he was still actively trying to make the believers, the believers stumble. And he does so today. And when I say he does so today, I call it he stirs the pot. When I study with kids, I said, you know what? Your enemy, the devil, does not like you. In fact, he hates you. Just read John 10, 10. And he'll do everything he can to stir the pot. Inside the pot, he'll blend truth with air, lies, deception, doubts. He'll blend it in. He'll blend happiness, joy, even people that you like, but sometimes people you don't like. He, you know, but if I were to stir the pot... You would probably hear me in the kitchen. Honey. But with the enemy, you don't hear the pot. He's quiet. He doesn't want to give away exactly what he's doing. And sometimes we don't even realize that he's stirring the pot when we think life is good. But that is his objective in your life and mine, is to stir my pot, to stir your pot, to make life confusing, to make life hard. Just like there was a Judas back with the disciples, even within the church, there were found two individuals who preferred meanness to generosity and hypocrisy to honesty. You know, over time, you wait long enough, the bad apple comes to the surface. And it didn't take long for that to happen in the book of chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 2. But a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, conniving, in this with him, sold a piece of land, secretly kept part of the price for themselves, and then brought the rest of the apostles, brought the rest to the apostles, and made an offering of it. Did you see what they did? What was that you said? You wanted to know what it looked like? I'm glad you asked. Because we need to get a clear picture of what took place with. Ananias and Sapphira. Because see, just previously in chapter 4, this Barnabas sold some land. He brought the money back to the apostles, laid it at Peter's feet, and the church, oh, they rejoiced. They held him up. They respected him. They looked at him as righteous. He was an honorable man. And Ananias, when he saw that, he coveted that. I want to be like that. I want that. I want the honor from the church people. So with his wife, Sapphira, they said, well, why don't we go out 
Mm. And we can sell some land ourselves and bring it back and give it to the church as well. Maybe they were good thinkers because they were members of the church. And so they got the plot of land. They went out. They sold it. Sapphira was off somewhere. The person came back, gave Ananias the money. And he goes, here, Ananias, here's your money for the land. And when he got the money, he called Sapphira back and said, honey, look at this. More money than they had ever thought possible for that plot of land. Now, you got to remember, when you do the work for the Lord... And your objective is to bless the church, the Lord's gonna bless you. Believe it? He was blessing Ananias as well. Because, see, Ananias at this point had done nothing wrong. But what happened was they had received so much money from the sale of their land. And Sapphira was just sitting here giddy, looking at the money, just thinking of all the things that she could buy. A little evil spirit came over and started whispering in Ananias' ear. Why don't you uh, keep some of that money? You don't need to give it all. In fact, they don't know even how much you received. Keep, keep some of the money because what if God doesn't fulfill what he says he can do? It'll be good insurance for you, you know? You got to have some money just in case. Besides, you don't need to let them know. You got a lot of money. Keep it. Well, it was just the seeds and the questions that all that he needed to hear from the enemy stay. And sure enough, Ananias and Sapphira had a decision to make. We got to start putting the money in the envelope to go and give back to Peter. So as they put it in, they started questioning the fact and pulling some out. We don't need all that. And before long, they had put maybe a good portion in, but in reality, he told Sapphira, why don't you go and get a bag Get something that we can put this money in. And so in doing so, she went and got a bag, and they, and they filled the bag with the remaining money that they had in their hands. They still had some here to give to Peter, but they had the money in the bag. It was kind of like insurance for themselves, just in case God doesn't follow through and taking care of us. He gave the bag to Sapphira and said, Here, go and take care of this. I'll take this and put it at the apostles' feet. He felt pretty good about himself. He had done good. And so this is where it picks up. Because now all of a sudden Peter comes in. Sapphira's not there. She's off with a bag of money somewhere else. Peter comes in. He, he is just, oh, his chest is kind of proud and... Carrying the money, went and laid it down at the, at the feet of Peter. Stood up with a big grin, 
very proud. And then we pick up verses 3 to 4. Peter said, Ananias, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly back part of the price of the field? Before you sold it, it was all yours, and after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wished. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men. You lied to God. Verse 5. Ananias, when he heard those words, fell down dead. Imagine what that looked like. Imagine being in the crowd and what that looked like. Because Peter, I'm sure he was pretty vocal in a statement to Ananias. He fell down dead. What put the fear of God into, oh, and that put the fear of God into everyone who heard of it. The younger man went right to work and wrapped him up, then carried him out and buried him. Verse 7 to 8, not more than three hours later, his wife, knowing nothing of what happened, came in. Now, here comes Sapphira. She's still kind of giddy. She still realizes, I got some money put away. Thinking of things and how maybe she's going to spend it. But I got to follow suit with the plan that her hubby had planned, and that was to tell them that all the money we had from the sale, we have given to them. Peter said, tell me, were you given this price for your field? Now, he's giving her a chance. He is giving her a chance. But when the enemy gets a hold of you, her reply was, yes. She said, that's the price. Verse 9, Peter responded, what's going on here? What you have convinced to conspire against the spirit of the master, the men who buried your husband are at the door and you're next. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young man returned, they found her body. They carried her out and buried her outside with her husband. Could you imagine being in that crowd? Could you imagine witnessing what just transpired? Verse 11. But this time the whole church, and in fact everyone who heard of these things, had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. God was not to be trifled with. The sin that Ananias and Sapphira committed was not stinginess, no, or holding back part of the money. No, they, they gave money. It was lying to God and to God's people. Lying to God and to God's people. I sit there and look at this story, and I perplex myself. I remember the first time I read it, I kind of scratched my head and said, this doesn't make sense. People look at this story and they think that God was pretty harsh. 
His judgment was harsh. It doesn't make any sense. But God doesn't put a story in the Bible just to put it there. There's a purpose for it. And so the purpose I'm going to ask for you is when I do counseling in my office, I always end the session with, what do you take away from our study today? What do you take away from the session that we just had? What do you take away from the story of Ananias and Sapphira? What did you learn? Like I said, many people could sit there and say, God was such a harsh God. He wasn't fair. They just made a simple mistake. We all do it. Well, if you were to ask me, Fred, what would be the takeaway for this story? Would be God demands total honesty from his followers. Total honesty. Because in reality, I know we got a lot of families here. We got dads, we got moms. And that honesty relationship is so crucial between you and your children, isn't it? Even for you and your spouses, it is so crucial. Honesty is such the key to making the glue to any relationship. And when you think about it, why would it be any different with God? God desires a relationship with us. And because of that, he's truly transparent and he's sincere, just like we are with our children, our spouses, our friends. We want honesty. Because once honesty enters the relationship, trust is broken. And it's hard to get that trust back again. So I think as we leave here today, I want us to remember the verse, chapter 11, one more time. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things. Did you hear that? There were the body of believers that were in the camp, but there were other ones around the camp watching it. They weren't the believers. But it says that they themselves came to the conclusion. And in that conclusion, they saw a healthy respect for this God that they worshipped. They didn't shake their fingers or their fists at him. They didn't question the fact. They saw an action take place that showed true respect and character in the man we call God. And I think each one of us desire to live a life that people can look at us and see character and have respect in and to be able to live a life of Christ within us. So as you leave here today, be like a Barnabas. Be like a man who encourages other, other people. And in fact, the safest way, if you don't want to have any conflicts in life, and you don't want to have any struggles or complications, here's the key factor of what you could do. Surrender yourself to God. Surrender yourself to God. Experience the promise and the plan that Jeremiah shares with us. Experience what I had for three weeks with my sister-in-law in Hawaii. A time where I could trust her. I had faith in her. I believed in her. And I knew that she would do no harm to us. It was for my benefit. And I know that God wants the best for me. 
He wants the best for each one of you. May we come to God daily, surrender Him daily, and experience His presence, His love, and the Holy Spirit in our lives because we are walking billboards. Our neighbors, the people that you see at the stores, the gas station, they are looking at you, and they're drawing conclusions by who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the messages that you put into scriptures, for the stories that we read, for they do impact us. We know it's so important to be able to see what transpires. And even though we question the actions, may the bottom line be that, Lord, we don't know the whole story. We can't see the whole picture, but we believe in you. And we know by what you do and what you choose and your actions, it's the best for everyone involved. For we believe in you and we trust in you and we have faith in you. Draw close to us, Father, as we go through the coming week. Keep us safe. Keep us in your arms. And may this pandemic subside and that we can get back together again as a family and draw closer together, but mostly having you in the midst of us. For, Lord, continue to draw close to each one of us, not in just this week, but in the months to come. For we desperately need you. In your name we pray, amen.